Father in heaven, Lord, we're so thankful. Thankful that you've been with us. Thankful for the blessed Sabbath, not just so that we can rest, but that we can also focus upon Jesus Christ, our Savior. For without him, Lord, the Sabbath would really be meaningless. It would be no different from the rest of the world. And so, Father, we are asking for a spiritual blessing this morning, more than just physical rest, that you give us the spiritual rest, that you'd sanctify us as you have sanctified this day, and you bring our thoughts higher and closer to you today. And at this very time, as we open your word, may your words speak so very clearly to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the past few weeks, we've been looking at preaching and what to preach. Well, my suggestion was the three angels' messages. This really is our responsibility during the time of this pandemic. When everybody is running around, they're un uncertain about what's happening. Friends, we have the answer. And God, He's asking us to preach about the three angels' messages. And just to recap real quickly, last week, when we looked at that first part of the first angel's message, it talks about fear God, fear God. And we looked at that story of Abraham, and we looked at several other texts as well, of course. But the main point that I wanted you to take away from fear God is learning to obey even when we don't understand the reason why. And this is unquestioning obedience. And so I want you to come back with me in your Bibles now to Revelation chapter 14. Looking at that first angel's message, we're going to recap again verse 6 and 7. Revelation 14 verse 6 and 7, this is what the Bible says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Friends, God calls us to fear Him. Not to be scared of Him, but that unquestioning obedience. And it is only then that we can give glory to God. The natural progression is when we learn to obey even when we don't understand the reason why. When we learn to obey without continually questioning God, He can then help us to give glory to Him. But what is this glory all about? What does it mean to give glory to God? Well, in Psalms chapter 8, let's turn our Bibles there. Psalms chapter 8, starting in verse 3. Psalms chapter 8 and verse 3, the Bible says this, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him, speaking of man, a little lower than the angels, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Friends, when God created us at the very beginning, He crowned us with glory. He crowned us with honor. And so when 
The three angels' messages tell us that He wants us to give glory to Him. Really, it's a call for us to go back to the original intent of why God created us at the very beginning. God crowned Adam and Eve with glory. And it was His purpose. It was the reason why God created us. He gave us His glory. Isaiah 43, let's turn the Bibles there. Isaiah 43 and verse 7, Isaiah 43 verse 7, the Bible says this, even everyone that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I formed him, yea, I have made him. God's original intent for us is to give him glory. This is the reason why he created us at the very beginning. This is the whole creation story of Adam and Eve. He instilled in us, he, he put in us his glory, his character. And so, friends, really the first angel's message is a call all the way back to creation, the original purpose of why God created us. And friends, we lost that glory at the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we're all too familiar with this text. For all have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. Because of sin, because of transgression, we lost that glory. And friends, I do want you to pray for me. It seems like the internet is fluctuating a bit here. Let's pray for the internet connection, that it will be stable throughout our time of worship here this morning. But look, friends, what was that glory? What is it connected to? Because we sinned, we lost God's character. We lost His glory. We came short of His glory. But what is sin associated with? First John 3, 4, sin is what? The transgression of the law. So friends, really, when we fear God, remember we connected fear God with His commandments, Exodus 20, 20 and Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. So when we sin, we are disobeying God's law, we're breaking His law, we're coming short of His glory, and His glory is associated with the Ten Commandments, with the Ten Commandments, friends. And so when we talk about glory, it has to do with His law, obedience to the law of God. But wait a minute, that really just sounds like the message of fear God. What is the glory all about? Let's turn our Bibles now to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. What does the Bible say here about the gospel and glory? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 14, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the purpose of the gospel is to bring us back to the original intent of what God had for us at the very beginning. And the three angels' message is the everlasting gospel, you see. It is the everlasting gospel and 
what's very interesting is when you look at the end of the three angels' messages in verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. You see the commandments mentioned at the very beginning in fear God. You see it also mentioned at the very end as well. And so really the heart of the gospel and its foundation is His law. And that is very much got to do with God's glory. But friends, look, we can't give glory if we don't obtain glory first. Do you see that? We can't give glory to God if we don't have it. So in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, it is the obtaining of the glory of God. Friends, before you go and preach to others the gospel, make sure you have the gospel. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Before we can give glory to God, we got to obtain that glory first. How? 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Bible says this, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Before you give the gospel a certain sound, make sure you're spending time with the gospel. Make sure you are beholding the glory of God. Make sure you are beholding the gospel. John chapter 1, verse 14. This is the reason why Jesus came, friends, not just simply to die. Do you know that? In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Friends, Jesus came to live among men, and not just simply for the sacrifice of sin at the very end of His life, but we may understand in practice through His life what that glory was all about. And so Jesus he came to be the living word. This is the purpose of his life. When you look at his name, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, let's turn our Bibles there. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Friends, if sin made, to fall, made us to fall short of God's glory and Jesus, He comes to save us from our sins, He is the only one that can help us to obtain that glory again. And so, friends, really the three angels' messages is all about Jesus. And it's very interesting when you look at, I'm forecasting, when you look at the second and third angel's message, it talks about um, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It talks about the mark of the beast, you know that? But yet somehow, this everlasting gospel, it really is all about Jesus Christ. It's not about a certain beast. It's not all about Babylon. There's a reasons why it talks about these things. But the ultimate purpose of the gospel, the ultimate purpose of the three angels' messages is help us to obtain the glory of God. It's got to be put in your heart. You got to understand what it means. You got to know what this is all about before you can go and preach the three angels' messages to every nation, kindred, tongue, 
and people. And really, what is it all about? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Look at this. Colossians 1.27, the Bible says, To whom God would make known, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, the gospel, the ultimate aim of the gospel is to put Jesus Christ and his character in you. Look, there is one text that I want to mention and talk about. Anytime we talk about glory, this is probably one of the more famous texts that jump out. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, pardon me, and verse 31. How can we give glory to God? We know through character, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But there is one thing that I do want to mention. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. And I want to show you why this is so important, okay? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the Bible says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Friends, God's glory is also found in what we eat and drink. Look, this is really a side note of what I want to talk about today, but it's an important uh, note, side note. And I'll be remiss if I didn't mention this because simply the Bible is so clear. You know, our diet, it, it really is an important factor of the times that we live in. And not for character perfection, don't misunderstand me, but I want to show you from the pen of inspiration why it is so important. Look, um, this is Healthful Living 74.3. This is what Ellen White says. If the appetite is allowed to rule, the mind will be brought under its control. Look, we should always have control of our minds, isn't it? We always got to make sure that the mind is in control of the appetite and not the other way around. But she says here, if the appetite is allowed to rule, the mind will be brought under its control. As I speak to you today, I want you to consider as your mind is thinking and reasoning that is there anything that you are consuming, that you're eating, that you have been in this past week or month, that you know you should not. And look, it's not whether you agree with the pastor or not. It's whether the Bible says it or not. You know, I could care less about my own opinions and you should care less about it as well. But if I can prove it to you from the Bible, you know, God, He wants to give us abundant life. He wants to give us abundant health. He wants us to be in good health and strength to give the gospel a certain sound. But it's not just that, you see. He wants to give you the ability to think and to reason to be the first thing and not be controlled by our appetites and our passions. If the appetite is allowed to rule, the mind will be subservient to it. And further on, look, let, let, let me share with you also in the same 
section, Healthful Living 75, paragraph 1, Satan sees that he cannot have such a controlling power over us as he could if appetite were indulged. Can you see that? Satan knows that if we indulge our appetite, he could have greater control over us. Friends, this is the reason why what we eat and drink is so important. It's not about character perfection, but it's really one step further. It's about victory over sin. Do you see that? What we eat and drink, and it's not because, oh, Ben, you've been vegetarian for so long, that's why you're preaching that, or it's because you went to this certain school and studied there, that's why you're like that. No, friends, I read from Ellen White here not from any church manual, not from any school manual, not from something I pulled out and this is my own thinking. This is what she says. She's the one that says Satan knows that if we indulge appetite, he can have control over us more than if we didn't. Some of us were slaves to our appetite and we become slaves to sin. When you go back and read Romans chapter 7 and verse 15 and 19, this person, is, it's like he's addicted. He knows what is right, but he doesn't do it. And then he knows what is wrong and he keeps doing it. And it's because why? In verse 20 or 21, it says there, because sin dwells in them. And friends, I'm led to believe that half the reason is probably because most of us are indulging in appetite. We're eating and drinking of those things that we know we shouldn't. And because of that, it weakens our moral power against sin and other greater devices of the devil. One more quote, look at this. Our habits of eating and drinking show whether we are of the world or among the number that the Lord by His mighty cleaver of truth has separated from the world. Can you believe that? This is from Ellen White. This is not from me, friends. What we eat and drink, our habits of eating and drinking show whose side we are on. It does. It shows who is our master. It shows who we are following. Friends, is what we eat and drink important? Absolutely it is. And part of learning to obey, even when we don't understand the reason why. This really is where health is such a big factor of not understanding the reason why. Like, why are you vegetarian? You know, I became vegetarian before I even understood the health ramifications. Like, there's a lot of documentaries out there. Oh, long time ago, there was a Super Size Me. And then there's, you know, there's a lot. Of the latest one really is that, um, that, that documentary about even going vegan. Uh, you know, even before any of these things came out, I went vegetarian because of the Word of God. And you know, to a person that looks in from the outside, it looks foolish. What? You're doing all of this because you don't know why? Yeah, I am. Look, we got to get to the point where we become intelligent about having a nutritious and wholesome diet. Your fruits, your nuts, your vegetables, your seeds, all these things, where you get your protein from, you don't need that much of it as well. You know, all these things, we have to have a balanced diet, yes. But the first step I took was not because of nutrition. 
if if I just did that and I just kept eating bread the whole time and nothing else, of course, it'll be worse off, right? But we got to make sure, yes, we have a balanced diet, but you got to make sure that you pay heed to the writings of, and the counsels of the spirit of prophecy. So look, worldly wisdom tells us that meat is important, but and even that we have to drink certain things if you want to be healthy or if you want to be more productive or you want to be awake. But friends, I want to encourage each and every one of you to spend time reading the book Councils on Diets and Foods by Ellen White. Not to condemn you, not to restrict you, but to give you better health, to give you a clear understanding of how we can have victory over our appetite that we may regain control of our mind and not allow Satan's temptations to overcome us so easily. That really is the main message behind the health message. Not just to simply make you miserable so that you can't eat this or can't eat that. But friends, I guarantee you, you will learn a lot. You will learn a lot and you'll remember that Friends, this is that step to start fearing God and obeying Him. Some of us, we are finding it hard to overcome some parts of our lives of sins. And friends, maybe it's because we've been indulging in appetite for too long. So do we fear God and give glory to Him enough that even this area of our health and what we eat and drink becomes important as well. Let's continue though. Look, I want to look a little more into the glory of God. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. It's a scripture song that we sing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, what you will see here is it is impossible to get the glory of God without knowledge. The knowledge of who? Jesus Christ. So that's why the Word of God becomes so important. This is why our faith becomes so important, as I talked about righteousness by faith last night. But this is why the Word of God becomes central to our experience, because if we want to give glory to Him, if we want to reflect His character, we got to know what His character is like. We've got to understand who God is, the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, look, we got to start with the Scriptures. And then when we begin to spend time in the Scriptures, that's not all though. Let's continue. We're in verse 6. Now let's read verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Friends, God wants to put that glory in earthen vessels, you and me. What's the result? What's the result of having this glory of God in us and shining out of us? Verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. You know, troubled on every side, 
But what? Not distressed. Even when bad things happen, it doesn't change us. It doesn't shake us. Troubles on all sides, but not distressed. And then it says what? We are perplexed. You know what that word perplexed means? It means at a loss. When you look at the concordance meaning of the word perplexed, we are at a loss, but not in despair. You know what the word despair means? Not to be utterly at a loss. It's so interesting. We're at a loss. We really are in difficult circumstances, but we're not utterly at a loss. It's like you don't know that this person is even going through trouble. Do you know that? Look, I've lived long enough to know that trouble comes to everybody. All right? And I think most of us, if you're watching, you know that trouble comes to everybody. Troubles, yes, they're all different, and it doesn't matter what rank you are, how much money you are have, or how little money you have. Everybody has troubles in all different shapes and sizes. But it, sometimes it appears that there's some groups of people that you meet or, or some individual that's in your church, it seems like they don't go through any trouble whatsoever. Have you met these sorts of people before? And maybe we look at them and go, oh, they can never understand what I'm going through. And it's like sometimes we come to church and we're the person that the whole church knows we're in a lot of trials and troubles all the time. We're going through trials. Please pray for me. I'm going through a lot of trouble. Please pray for me. And look, there's, I'm not saying that don't tell about your prayer requests, but we like to wear it on our face. We like to wear it on our sleeves. We like to tell everybody, I'm going through trouble. And we think like, you know, we should. You know, we, we should tell the church that we're in trouble so they can pray for us, right? And then you, you see these people that come and they seem to have no trouble whatsoever. It's like no trouble has ever entered their life. They seem to sleep well at night all the time. And, you know, it's not that they're secretive or anything or they don't want anyone to know their business. You know, some of us were like that too. It's just come to church and act good and act as if really everything is okay, but really is not. But it's not about acting. It's just these people, they have their peace in God. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ helps us to ride above the storm. We're troubled on every side, you're not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Look, that is the glory of God, friends. Jesus, he was silent under persecution. Jesus, he could pray for his persecutors. Jesus, he could ignore harsh and rude words and still minister to the thief on the cross. Jesus, he could wash his betrayer's feet and all the other disciples when they were vying to be first. When we have the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, our life will be different. Our character will be different. Our temperament will be different. Our mind will be different because we will have his character, his mind, his temperament. Do you see that? But yet, 2 Corinthians is not done. Let's continue. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Yes, persecuted, but not forsaken. Christ knows that. But do we know that when we're persecuted? Do we know that Jesus is still there with us? Do we know that He's right there beside us? He won't forsake us and He knows it. But sometimes we forget. 
cast down, but not destroyed. If the glory of God is in us, friends, if we have His law written in our hearts, if we have learned the lesson of fearing God and obtained His glory, obtained His character, it will manifest in how we live. Though we go through trials, we can maintain our composure. Verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So if we bear out, if we carry the, the death of Christ on the cross, if we allow His blood to cover us and wash away our sins, then the life of Jesus Christ will shine through every single one of us. Verse 11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. What does that mean? As a Christian, you will always have trials. For the sake of Jesus Christ, you will always have trials. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. But though the trials come, it will be evident that Jesus is with us. Friends, we don't need Jesus' character for the good times. Everybody can be happy when things are happy. Everybody can rejoice when life is going well. We need Jesus for the tough times. That's where the character of God shines through. That's where God's character becomes most important. How you react when trials come. And you know, I want to talk about a certain trial that, you know, may maybe you're thinking, oh, lack of money, am I still going to be at church? Or, you know, I, I, I've I got Sabbath exams. You know, I've talked about all these things before. But I want to talk to us today as Christians in the church. How do you react when people say mean words to you? Or says something that offends you? Are you still nice to them back? You know, and, and I'm not talking about the fake nice just smile at them and you're just putting up with them or, or tolerating them, but you really can't wait to get away from them. I'm not talking about that sort of nice. You know, being in the same church, but sitting on opposite ends when potluck lunch is there, you, he stands there and I'll stand over here or she's there, I'll, I'll be over there, you know, on opposite ends. Um, but actually loving them back, going out of your way to go and talk to that person to be their friend. I believe that if we were offended by words of another person and yet we just let it slide and we still talk to them and treat them nice and, and be their friend, I believe that our, our view of that person would drastically change. Did they really offend you? Probably. Did they hurt you? Maybe. You know, but if we would go and still speak nice words to them, try our best to be their friend like Jesus really would, I believe our church would be very different. Look, have you looked at the love chapter lately? 1 Corinthians 13. The character of Christ, really, the, the, the most important character is love. And this love chapter is really, really important to us, friends. In 1 Corinthians 13, look at this. Let's go to verse 4. Let's turn our Bibles to that love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 and look at verse 4. It says this, Charity, speaking of love, Charity suffereth 
long. And this kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Look, charity suffers long. Do you know what that means? When a person suffers long, it doesn't mean that they have long patience with somebody until they snap one day. And we tell them, eh, there's a limit to everything, right? There's a limit to everything. No. Suffering long does not mean to hold all the anger in and not tell the person. What does it mean to suffer long? Well, what sort of patience do you have for your children? And of course, um, speaking to parents there, but you know, we've all been children before. What sort of patience did your parents have towards you? You know, when, when, when they do something wrong, do you stop cooking meals for them? Of course not, right? When, when your children are bad, do, do you stop helping them brush their teeth when they're little kids? When they didn't obey you and they disobeyed and didn't come when you called them? Do you say, brush your own teeth? When your children are bad, do you stop taking them to school or stop helping them with their homework when they don't understand? Of course not, right? Even though you're upset and they know you're upset, they know that you'll stay, still take care of them, right? But you tell them why you're upset, or at least you should, and you tell them what they did wrong so that they don't do it again, right? When we have patience for our children, when we have patience for the ones we love, we tell them, look, this is the reason why I'm upset. And we should. And, and I find that too often we don't do it. You know, Matthew 18, verse 15, it says, if your brother offends you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Many of us, we don't like to do that. We, we go, we, we should go and tell them why you're upset. And even if it's such a small thing, even if it appears like you're being overly sensitive, go tell them. If you can't get over it, go and tell them. You know, you said this to upset me and it really was a small thing and maybe they might laugh at it and you might feel a bit more offended, but at least you told them, right? Why is this important? Because normally how we react is they should know that I'm upset. And how can they not know, you know? It's so obvious. How, how, how can they not know that they said something or did something to me that, that hurt me and upset me? But sometimes some people really don't know. And so when we think more like that, that's called twisted thinking, friends. It's twisted thinking. Thinking that a person should know why you're upset. Friends, people have got offended by me because I failed to shake their hand at church. And they start thinking, you know, the pastor doesn't like me or, you know, why didn't he shake my hand or why didn't he do this or do that? Friends, sometimes we're human, we make mistakes. And so you should just go up to the person and say, look, let me just shake your hand. Since you didn't shake mine, I'm just going to shake yours. Right? Our church would be so different if we would learn to approach the person who hurt us. It's okay to be angry. Ephesians 4.26, be angry. But sin not. Don't sin when you're angry. Don't hold the grudges inside. Suffering long is not holding those grudges and getting really angry and not telling people about it and just fake smiling your way through church. Friends, when you're angry, go talk to them. There are too many fake Christians in our churches today. They say everything is okay, but they don't act like it. 
They don't want to tell you what the problem is. And friends, that's not patience. That's not long suffering. That's called holding grudges. And it happens in church all the time between members, between leaders in the church. It happens, friends. That's not long suffering. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. You see that word, thinketh no evil? In the New International Version, it says this, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Some of us have record of wrongs as long as our arm. And some of us, we can walk into church and we can identify who hurt us five years ago, 10 years ago, and 20 years ago. And, and, and you know, everybody's just bad, bad, bad. This is a bad church, but yet we still continue to go. Friends, that's, that's not patience. That's not long-suffering. It's called holding grudges. We got to learn to forgive. We got to learn to let go. This is glory of God. Do you know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, For we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's that treasure? That treasure is Jesus Christ. The earthen vessel is you and me. It's just like that man that was plowing the field and he came across this treasure chest. That treasure is Jesus Christ put into that field which represents you and me. Do you see that? God wants to put that treasure in each and every one of us today. And then the change will come that the excellency of the power, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of man. The praise will go all the way back to God, friends. It's because His power that is able to change us. It's because His Word is implanted in our hearts that we can stop being fake Christians. We can stop getting offended over what people say to us. We can stop getting upset over what people do to us. Even though those offenses are real. Friends, there's coming a time, the mark of the beast, the Christian world is going to persecute you because of what you believe. And we're getting offended over small issues about what people say. Friends, the glory of God, it goes beyond just 10 commandments. And maybe the reason why you're so passionate about what people say to you and get so upset is maybe because you're, you're eating things that are not good for you and it enervates you and, and spices up your nerves and, and you're on the edge and every little thing is a problem. I know I felt that way before. And I know my wife has to endure that from me sometimes. Sometimes it's because of, because of what we eat. But other times it's because we've got to spend more time with Jesus Christ. Friends, God's got to change our hearts toward each other and how we treat each other and how we view each other. Otherwise, the work of God will never be finished. Do you know what the final result of fearing God and giving glory to Him is? Let me show you. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalms 111 verse 10. What's the final result of fearing God and giving glory to Him? Psalms 111 verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom. Why do we need wisdom? What's the ultimate need of wisdom? It's not to figure out how to get to heaven. No, it's not. We, we don't need wisdom that we just need to call on Jesus and he will save us, friends. But why do we need wisdom? Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. So here's the final result of fearing God. I'll, give, I'll show you the glory as well. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. What's the final result of fearing God? Proverbs 11:30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is what? Wise. Friends, the reason why our churches are not growing is because there are too many people holding grudges there. We ourselves don't want to bring people to church because we don't like the people there. You know what I mean? Do you get what I mean? Like, the reason why we're not out evangelizing the world is because we're not even proud of our church. In fact, we probably hate our church in some respects. You either got a grudge against the pastor or the leaders or, or some person there and you don't like them and you, you, you know what I mean? And we're not proud of our church. We don't like to bring our worldly friends there. Maybe because they can detect the hypocrisy. Maybe they can detect the differences in you and how you treat them and how you treat your church members. Friends, the ultimate goal of fearing God is to win souls to Christ. But God can't pour out His love upon us if you can't wait to leave church. If you have people in there that you hate, or dislike, or can't bear, or just tolerate for a little while. How about glory? What's the final result of giving glory to God? Matthew chapter 5. You know this text as well. I'm probably not preaching anything new to you this morning, but I hope that it's a reminder and maybe making you reflect about your attitude towards everybody in church. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If we glorify God, if we keep His commandments, if we're preaching the gospel, the result is people will give glory back to God. They will start reflecting God's glory. This is really is the final result. The final result of fear God, give glory to Him, is all about winning souls, bringing people to Jesus, bringing people to the church. Yes, friends. Community and fellowship is very important. Look at Acts chapter 2. This was where the early church was started. Church was started by God, not by any human being on this earth. It was God-ordained. And friends, if you're going to win souls, you've got to bring them to the church. But if you want to bring them to the church, you've got to love every single person that's in the church. You know what I mean? You've got to be able to see every person eye to eye and tell them you love them. So friends, I'm appealing to you. Let's put aside our hurt feelings today. Let's put aside pride. Let's put aside self. Let's put aside our own reputation. Have you backed yourself into a corner ready to the point that you don't want anything to do with the friends in church? Or you've isolated yourself to a very small group of friends in the church? Or you convince yourself that the friends outside are better than the friends in the church or the people in the church? God needs to help us. God needs to change us.
Otherwise, we will never feel the burden and the passion for reaching out to the world that is hurt and lost because your thoughts are the people in the church are more hurt and lost than my friends in the church in the world so i better not bring them to the church or else they might get worse you know see that's that's a sort of twisted thinking that we got to deal with this morning he doesn't want to change the person you have a grudge against friends he wants to change you so that you can stop holding grudges so that you can stop reacting to that person you see that you don't really like, so that you are brave enough to go and talk to that person to make them your friend again today. That you start treating them like you really love them and not just bearing long with them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's your only hope, friends. And if you recognize this challenge today, if you recognize that you really are holding grudges against people, I want you to consider Jesus Christ. I want you to consider our Savior who through all persecution, he was silent and he could still pray the prayer of forgiveness for his enemy. We got together warmth from the cold of others, friends, and the strength from Jesus Christ himself. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may not be of God, or may not be of us, but of God. And so friends, may that be our prayer today, that God would help us to see truly where we come short, that the glory that He crowns each and every one of us might only get sweeter as we come together in fellowship, as we gather together when the churches are open again and that you're worshiping together, that you can truly feel the warmth and the love and the joy of Jesus Christ amongst all of you, that you don't have to be careful about what you say and walk around on eggshells, offending certain people or, or hurting other people, but that you can just be you and everybody, even though it might be weird and even though they might say some weird things sometimes, but because the character of Jesus Christ is in you, it doesn't matter. You just ride over it. You don't think twice about it. You don't take it to heart, but that you can still love every single person in the church. It's got to start there again, friends. We got to be able to love every person. And too often those that we see every week, it's almost like we don't have a choice and we drag ourselves to church. But I hope that you would learn to put aside your grudges, your own hurts and your own feelings. And let's pray that God would give us His glory crown us with His glory again and restore us back to the image of God at the very beginning when He first created us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I know because I see it all the time. I don't need to be God for friends. We all, Father, we, we see all of it, in our, all this in our church all the time between, between people. We can't bear long with them and we, 
we gossip about them. And even though they hurt us, Lord, we, we try to hurt them back. We try to show our displeasure to them. We try to ignore them. Lord, we've done so many things in church to hurt each other. Please forgive us. You sit there on the throne and you, you must wonder, Lord, how we're ever going to finish the work. Lord, today I'm asking more for your love. Not simply a love that we can have a burden to witness to the lost and preach to the world that is dying out there, but give us love for our brothers and sisters, even in church, that we'd have a greater love for each other, that we'd be willing to more, spend more time with each other, to, to fellowship with each other, and to just enjoy each other's presence and company. Lord, please, give us your glory today, that truly your character might be manifested in our churches again. Father, work in our hearts. Convert us. Change us again. And may your word have pricked our hearts this morning that we are willing to come back to the drawing board and realize our insufficiency as Christians to do it on our own, that we need Jesus to help us through and through. So guide us to that end, O Lord. We pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen.